0: Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks, regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Sins, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby.
1: Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. I have a very special guest this week. Her name is Annie Rudels from Chicago. Now, Annie's grandfather actually was a used car salesman. Not many of us can say that. With well over a decade of experience under her belt, Annie is the founder and dean of the non-sleazy sales academy in Chicago, and she does enjoy her deep dish pizza. Along with being a fellow yeah. podcaster, sales trainer, and coach, Annie has her own podcast series on a weekly basis that you'll love to tune into called Too Legitimate to Quit. Welcome to the podcast, Annie. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. It's, it's great that you made the time and uh, uh, all the way from Chicago are going to uh, bless our listeners with some great tips. going to focus... Today's episode on the value of the relationship and a mindset of integrity. So, if you don't mind, any, I'd love to jump in and, and you know uh, ask you some questions and, and share some of that the wonderful experience you have with the sales listeners out there today. Let's what do it. What is the final and most important? Let's do it. You're ready. That's awesome. What <laughs> is the final and most important piece of? No like trust.
2: No like trust be asked to spend money. It's really, really key. No like trust is something that's all been foreseed to us, and that's because it's true. It's extremely important in crowded and competitive markets, especially with sleazy people left and right, that our prospects know us, like us and trust us. We put a lot of work in that space. But what can also happen is once they know us, they like us, and they trust us, we don't ever actually ask them because we think that the race has been fully run. It has not. In most situations even if they totally freaking adore you they don't know how to pay you or if you are right for them or if they are right for you without having that dialogue without having been asked
1: that's that's uh, so wonderful you're right the race isn't done till it's done uh can you explain right. a little more on that for, for for the listeners andy i think it's intriguing
2: Oh, absolutely. And here's how I know that this happened. Number one, I've seen it with hundreds of my own clients, but that was also very much my reality. I have always been a relationship based person. My friendships are important to me, my family is important to me. And so when someone said, Listen, all you got to get them to do is know you, like you, and trust you in order to pay you, I was like, Yes, I could befriend a tree stump. This is going to be fantastic. I'm going to be rich. But what happened was I started putting out content, as so many of us do, just content, 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 content. I put my voice out there, you know, I, I express my competitive advantages. I talked about the things that I didn't see working in my industry that I wanted to change. I showed pieces of behind the curtain at what's going on in my life and in my business. And people did start to know me and like me and trust me and even love me and follow me and share my stuff, but none of them were paying me, none. And I thought, how is it possible that I have this thriving list of people hanging on my every word and none of them. Are paying me. Why? Well, because I hadn't asked them to. I would say go to my website, but my website has many, many things. I was never saying, listen, if you're interested in working together, make sure you go to my website and specifically go to the work with me page so you can see things that happen for people that I've worked with. Or if you want them to get on that free consult, don't just say, hey, sometimes we should hop on a call whenever it works for you. We should say, hey, when you're ready to get to that next level, when you need that extra push, that's the perfect time for us to talk. Here's the link to get onto my consultation calendar. If we don't go that extra mile, we rest on the fact they like us until they find somebody else they like more or they find somebody else that they like less, but that person actually opened the door for them.
1: Ah, fabulous words. It's kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You can do all of those Uh things, but if you're not asking those final questions around engagement, and I don't even want to call it closing. I want to call it opening, like the next steps to to do something together. It's not on the customer to ask you to take their order. It's on us to ask for the order. So I I love how refreshing that is, Danny. That's so well well said. I, I think that's so key question. because,
2: have more oh, sorry, I was just going to say you You just nailed it right on the head, which is so many people with sales avoidance are terrified of closing. What if we flip that on its head and said the most important thing you do is not the close. The most important thing you do is the open.
1: That's right. That's so right. I, and we've all seen the movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. ABC always be closing, and I, I'm a big believer <laughs> of ABQ always be qualifying because the, the, and the ABL always be listening. Listening. Oh, I love that one too. We got to collaborate. We got to write a book together sometime, Andy. That's fabulous. Let's
2: do it. So, I'm not nice open that door. The next
1: question, which is tough. Yeah, no, we can do it. I love collaboration. It's the it's the best. It's a spice of life. It truly is. What do small businesses tend to do when they're positioning themselves incorrectly? Because there's probably more incorrectly going on out there than correctly. Shed some light on that for us, Annie, if you can.
2: So many of us bring what I call sales baggage with us into our small businesses, and that can come from a variety of different places. Maybe one of the things that I always bring up is um, here in the U.S., it was very, very common for um, us to have to sell stuff door to door to support our school or our church or whatever, and so they would give you like popcorn or cookies or wrapping paper or uh, coupon books or something. And as a kid with no education on this, they would send you out to the wolves where you had to do door to door sales, which is the worst kind, right? And so a lot of us from a very young age were like, oh my God, I hate selling. It's the worst thing I could ever possibly do. It's awful. It makes my neighbors uncomfortable. And I just cry and have my parents buy everything. Some of that stays with us the whole time. Others of <laughs> us, not so much. Maybe we were in a corporate environment. Where we, you know, were required to sell somebody else's items or policies or products, right? Any of those things are a sale. And we had to do it the way that the boss man or the boss lady said. And we had to meet our quota. And that's all that mattered to them. So they didn't care if all of your leads were welfare mothers of four. They didn't care. They're like, get the job, get the sale, do it or we'll fire you. We carry that on too, right? Right. Or, what happens to most of us in small business specifically is we jump into it because we have all this experience and expertise in our lane, but we're like, oh, we'll figure out how to sell on the go. But we never actually invest that time to figure it out. So we cobble together all these bad practices, or we pay somebody that promises they can make us a gajillion dollars if we'll only listen to them, and we smoosh all those forms of sales baggage together. And it's uncomfortable and we carry that with us. So we go, well, hold on. If I'm never supposed to have to work a day in my life, if I'm doing what I love and selling feels so nasty to me, then I'm just not going to sell. Uh-uh. If you don't sell your business dies, the difference is you don't have to sell in all of those horrible ways you've been led to sell before. That isn't what selling has to be.
1: That's so, so well put. I I love that selling is the oldest profession in the world. And with that has come a lot of bad reputation. But there's a a way to do it with integrity, a mindset of integrity, with a, a focus on the value of a relationship that changes everything. So you're right. Let go of the baggage. There's a right way to do this that you can be proud of yourself by doing. Which is a great segue, Annie, to, the, to my third question for you today. How does someone learn to love sales? I don't mean like it. Love it.
2: Love it. Well, we already talked about the first thing. Drop the baggage. Redefine it for yourself. When most people come to me and they say, I hate selling, that is because they've had to sell or thought they had to sell in an environment that put the dollar or the transaction above the person. Flip that right on its head. If you want to learn to love selling, all you have to do is be passionate about the problems that you solve, because that's all selling truly is, is problem solving for money, and make the person on the other side of your transaction, make helping them changing things for them, moving the needle for them, the focus of what you're doing, then you just get to show up and show people what's possible and get paid for it. How could you not love that? But if we feel like we've constantly got an arm twist to get the almighty dollar, that's going to keep that bad feeling. If we let that go and say, am I a fit for this person? Is this person a fit for me? Am I able to change and create change with them and for them? Then you will learn to love seeing the before, during and after transformations that you co-create with those people.
1: That is beautiful words. That that's got to go in our book. I love what you just All right, put it in the book. Um, and, and it's so true. If, put it in the book. If all we think we're doing you know, is pushing a product and we're commission-breathing salesperson people, then how do you love that? How do you ever love that? So if we, I like to think of it as we're business doctors. Now, if you go to your doctor for your annual checkup and they say, take these pills, you'll be fine. See me next year. Wouldn't you be a little concerned that you didn't understand my needs? You just think I need these? What if we diagnose, then prescribe? So find out what the problem is. And help the customer solve it, right? Yeah, view of it. That's something you can do with integrity and be proud of. And that's what absolutely. That's fabulous words, fabulous words, Annie. You're you're sharing with our listeners again. Thank you. Fourth question for you, and this one I'm really curious on: Uh Is empathy a blessing or a curse in the world of sales? You've heard people say. Well, you know, being empathetic towards the customer's needs and concerns, those are important things and I'm all about that, but is it a blessing or is it a curse, Annie?
2: It's truly a blessing, but it feels like a curse in that if you read all of the, the big sales books, all of them, I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's... Bill Carnegie or Zig or Grant Cardone, I don't care who wrote the book, at least somewhere in that book, it will say, if you can put yourself in the shoes of your customers, if you can walk in their emotional world, if you can understand on a deep and connective layer what they're up against, then you will be selling well. That right there is freaking empathy, right? But I spend most of my day with yes. people that consider themselves to be naturally empathic, They just ooze empathy. They are human sponges. I'm one too, right? But what happens when you live in that place is your energetic boundaries get kind of screwy. And what worries you is if you take that nasty wrong definition of selling that we talked about previously, if you take that and you put that Mm. in a heart-centered person who literally bleeds For the person they're talking to, they are going to feel like the ultimate violation of no, like, trust is no, like, trust, sell, because in their minds, you're using that empathy to hurt, abuse, or manipulate the person, i.e., for your own gain. You're not. You're using that to forge that sense of connection. You're using that to show your own experience and expertise. You're using that to foster and build trust, right? But so that's why empathy is a phenomenal, phenomenal blessing because it's also something that's really hard to learn if it doesn't come naturally to you. A lot of people spend a lot of money trying Mm -hmm. to be empathic that are born empathic or have forged themselves into empathic people have this high resistance because it feels like a forfeiture of that closeness. It's not. It's taking the relationship to the next level with that other-centeredness in mind.
1: That is so well said. It's about being on the other side of the desk and realizing that if you can listen well and you're, you've got empathy towards the customer's concerns, their needs, their, their business aims, you're not trying to sell something. You're trying to help them with their business. So that's still in the vein of empathy as far as I'm concerned. They will benefit from what you are bringing to the table, as will you and your company. But you're not, you're, it's a dual agenda. It's not your agenda. So I, I It's really a dual agenda and the client isn't nothing. wrong.
2: You know what I mean? Right. We don't have to domain right. and them, have to to them sell to, to them.
1: With your empathy, I like what you said about that. You haven't flipped that empathy thing. You you're not doing it with loaded agenda. You're doing it with no. agenda based on integrity with the right what's what's the best per- thing for the customer? Right? And so it becomes a huge asset if you can wear it that way. That's 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 the key. So Final question for today, and this has been awesome. I, I'm really inspired from from your answers. Um, what well, we're writing a book, Ian, so you, you know, the first of many. We're going to we're going to write it. Absolutely, absolutely. What advice do you have for those who struggle to charge for their labors of love? Like this can happen. In labors of people. love, especially, yeah. People. Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially people with like the culture—the one-man band, the solopreneur, someone who's who got great work or does great service, but you know they're easily taken advantage of because someone along the line has got to ask for the order to see if we've got an yep. engagement or not. So what advice do you have for those that struggle with charging for their work?
2: Labors of love are still labors. They're still laborers, okay? Yes. They're still a job. So my advice for anybody out there who is struggling to charge because they're like, well, how do I put a price on that? Or, you know, I, it's just me, and I'm I'm not maybe the most experienced person in the world. Or, you know, last time I charged too little, but now I don't want to charge too much. If you're stuck in any of that nastiness, what I want you to think of is mm. someone you are delighted to pay, If you have a babysitter who your kids freaking adore, if you say so-and-so is coming over to watch you and they do somersaults in glee because they're so excited to have a night with that person, you're going to gladly pay that babysitter for taking care of your kids. If you have an amazing doctor, we already brought up the doctor thing. If you have a doctor that you super, super trust and that doctor says to you, listen, my consult fee is this. And you're going to have to do this prescription and it's expensive, but it's really going to get you the results you want. You would pay that doctor. You would pay for that prescription. If I this just happened to me, I missed out on buying concert tickets for a band that I really wanted to see. Because post-COVID, I'm not in the habit of doing things quickly anymore, especially in person type things. Right. I missed right. out. I had to pay yeah. four times more. That's on me. I was still glad to do it. They're my favorite freaking band. They deserve that money for the joy they bring into my life. So I want you to think about the people in your life that you are glad to pay. The people that you pay easily, even if it's super expensive, because of how they enrich your life. Then I want you to look at what you're offering and ask the question, so why not me? Why can't I be that someone for somebody? Why can't what I provide be the concert or the babysitter, or the doctor, or the fabulous barista who makes that $6 coffee that you promised yourself you would never buy, but now are addicted to. And they serve it with a smile. You're glad to pay them and to tip. Why can't that be you? Because the answer is, if you're providing value and you're creating change in people's lives or businesses, there is no reason why you are not already that person and therefore shouldn't be compensated accordingly.
1: That is so well said. That's the mindset of a sales champion. You just, I think you just gave it a job description. That's exactly how we should think and go into every potential sales engagement is with that mindset that we're, we are are valuable. We have something that will help and no, we're not going to give it away. It's worth something. In fact, when something's free, what kind of value do we put on it anyway? Can't be that good. Almost none. Where I go. So Annie. Almost nine. Annie Rubles had been my special guest. She's she, been my special guest this week. Annie, again, a fabulous thank you for coming on the show and sharing your energy, your experience, and your wisdom with the sales listeners. Now, For all you folks out there that want to get a hold of Annie, Annie, how would the listener best reach out to get a hold of you?
2: If you are in a learning space, meaning you want education, you want something to chew on, nom, nom, nom. What I want you to do is I want you to go to my website and I want you to start with my free masterclass, Making selling Easy Without Getting Sleazy. And you can find that at AnniePRuggles.com easy, not sleazy. But, but if you are in active sales avoidance and you have a big call or a big meeting or a big email coming up, do not waste time going to my website. What I want you to do instead is I want you to reach out to me on a platform with messaging. The best two for me are LinkedIn. Just look for my name. I'm the only one named my name. Or on Instagram, I'm at Anniepreneur, A-N-N-I-E-P-R-E-N-E-U-R. Reach out to me, let me know what you have coming up. Let me move the needle for you in that moment so I can show you in your own life how beautiful and exciting selling can be.
1: And heroes, thank you so much. Been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, And have yourself a wonderful day in Chicago.
2: You have a better day in
0: Vancouver. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoru.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro Lessons, More Wins with Ian Selby.